Good morning. We um, handed these out as you came in. If you did not get one, just put your hand up real quick, and uh, Daniel's right there. He'll get you a copy of it. So uh, I want you to take notes. I want you involved in my sermons. So just uh, if you need a pen, um, Daniel has those as well. And you're welcome to take them home with you as long as you bring them back next week to take more notes. So we are studying through the book of Hebrews. Noad has made as our key verse, verses, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and we always give an opportunity if there's anyone who would like to quote those for us, um, you may do so today. Dorothy, did you want to do that? Okay. So Dorothy is going to do that for, on behalf of all of us. Great. Thank you. So as we look at our study, we're in Hebrews 11 today, and as I promised last week, after a very long introduction, uh, that we would actually get into the chapter itself, and so we'll start with verse 1 this morning. But before we do, I want you to write on your piece of paper, there's a question, what do you hope for? I know that's not good English, but what do you hope for? I think proper English is for what do you hope? If you could just write that down, something in your life, something um, that you want to put down there, something that you hope for. Okay, if you've written something down, I want to ask all of you a question. How many of you wrote down something in the past? You look very quizzical. How is that possible? How can you write something in the past about something you're hoping for? You know, did you write down something like, I hope for sunny weather last Monday? Or I hope my past does not include the cancer that I've already had. You don't write that down because that's not something you hope for. You cannot change the past, and it's not logical to hope for something in the past. I wish things were different. Okay, can't change that. Hope always has to do with the future, and in Bible, uh, when we talk about hope with regard to the Bible, it always has to do with something that is sure. Hope always has to do with something that is sure. Okay, so before we get into the past uh, to the the sermon, let's let's read the passage that we're going to look at this morning. Hebrews chapter eleven, beginning with verse one. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the world's were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, 
Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he, being dead, still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony, that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So let's start with verse 1. First part of verse 1 says, faith is the substance or the assurance of things hoped for. So number one on your sheets is faith makes the future present. Faith makes the future present. Okay, so before I explain that to you, I want to talk a little bit about faith. Faith must be based on the Word of God. Otherwise, it's not faith. You might hope for something, like, you know, you might hope to win a million dollars in the next lottery. Don't spend your money on it, okay? You're not going to do it. You're not going to win, okay? You're going to be disappointed. But the true faith must be based on the Word of God. And there's two things I want you to consider. First of all, the Word of God may be a general promise to all believers. And so I'll give you a couple of examples of that. You say, well, Lord, I need direction for my life. And here's what the Word of God says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your steps or your paths. That's a promise to all believers. That's a general promise, and it's for all believers. And so you're, you're wondering what to do in life. And you say, well, you know, what does God want me to do? This is what He wants you to do. By faith, you can trust Him for, for direction in your life. You say, well, maybe you need deliverance. You're suffering a trial. You're suffering a problem. There's things that are too difficult for you. What's the general promise to all believers? It says in Psalm 34, 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And so you're in the midst of a trial. You're in the midst of a problem. And you say, Lord, what's your word for me? Well, the general word for you is the Lord will deliver you out of all your troubles. It says that. You say, well, how can I be sure I'm going to heaven? That's another area, a general promise. The Lord Jesus said to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. So faith demands the surest evidence and finds it in the Word of God. And so I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am going to heaven. How do I know that? Because of what God says in His Word. If I have trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior, Jesus said, I have gone to prepare a place for you. Well, that's great. It settles it for me. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about what happens after I die. He's already told me. 
And so faith makes the future, I'm not in heaven yet, believe it or not, it makes the future present. I can enjoy the present satisfaction or enjoyment of that promise right here and now while I live on earth because God has said it, settles it, done. So the word may be a general promise, but the word may be a specific promise to you as well. I'll give you an example of this. Many of you know, most of you know, that I have my oldest daughter uh, became a prodigal at age 15. And for years, she left the home, and for years, I would get up every single night, about the same time every night, it was probably around 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'd get up, and I'd go to the upstairs window, and I would look out the window, and I would look for the prodigal to return every single night. Fifteen years she's been a prodigal. For the first probably seven or eight years, every single night, that's what I did without fail. And I would get up and I would pray and I would look. And I never saw the car lights going down the street. I never saw her come back. And then I would leave the window, I would pray for her, and I'd go to bed, and I would literally cry myself to sleep every single night. One day, I received a postcard in the mail. It was from a man I barely knew, and the only thing written on the postcard were these verses. Jeremiah 31, 16, and 17, Thus says the Lord, Refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. That was a word for me. Now, if you have a prodigal, it might be a word for you this morning, too. I took that card and I put it on the top of my computer. It was when, back in the day when I had a monster computer screen, and it actually had a spot on the top where you could put a card. Now, again, I want to emphasize something. This man did not know anything that was going on in my life. He barely knew me. Why he wrote those two obscure verses to me was only the Lord working through him uh, to, to t- speak to me. I put it on the top of my computer, and I forgot about it. And that night, at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, I got up and I went through my whole routine again for another year. I forgot about what the Lord had just told me that day. About a year later, I was just going through my regular routine of reading through the Scripture, and I happened to come to Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 16 and 17, and I read it as if I had never read it before. And I said, wow, Lord, I take this as a promise from you to me. And I accepted what he said to me. I said, okay, from now on, I'm no longer going to get up and do that. I'm going to trust you that what you have said here, you will do. Well, that wasn't enough. I had to clean my desk that day because it was getting a little bit messy. And as I moved my computer and dusted and all that, oh, there was the card. It had fallen down behind the computer. And there it was. It had slid underneath the the, uh, computer, you know, the big box computer thing. 
And I said, okay, Lord, I get it. <laughs> I really do get it. And now I can rest and trust that the Lord is at work and will fulfill his promise to me. Faith takes God at his word and uh, trusts him. Well, maybe it's a financial need that he will meet. How often we have laid claim to this promise, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Maybe the word that you're looking for has to do with healing. We all go through sickness. We all go through issues in life. One of the names of God is Jehovah Rophika, which means the Lord who heals you. God can and does heal. We can call upon the Lord to heal us. You know that Krista has been sick for two and a half years, and it has been a battle. In September of last year, the doctors, three of her, she has three doctors, all three doctors said to us, there's nothing more we can do for her. She will never get better. Well, the funny thing is, not funny, haha, but the interesting thing is that I had heard that before, 23 years ago. And the Lord healed her 23 years ago. And, and uh, she was fine. And so when the doctors said, there's nothing more we can do for her, I took that as a challenge to bring before the Lord and say, Lord, men are saying that it cannot be done. But you remember, Lord, that men said at one time, even God can't sink this ship, and you sunk it, right? The Titanic, you remember that? So, Lord, I don't care what the doctors say. I don't care what the experts say. I am asking you, Lord, heal my wife. Would you heal her? The Bible says, ask, and you shall receive. And I prayed as Moses prayed. Um, he said, so it says in the scripture, so Moses cried out to the Lord saying, please heal her, O God, I pray. And God had mercy on her, and she has now been in remission for the past 15 weeks. I was diagnosed with cancer a year ago. Four tests indicated it. A biopsy confirmed it. The Bible says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And so I prayed as Jeremiah prayed in Jeremiah 17, 14. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. And God had mercy on me. I had blood work done this past Thursday. On Friday, I got the results. Completely within normal range. The Lord has healed. I got news that everything is normal. Well, these are specific promises that the Lord may speak to you personally about, and you can claim the promises of God. If you are reading the scripture and God speaks to you through his word, you can claim those promises as your own. And God will provide anything that is good for you. Sometimes it's not good for us to be healed. Sometimes it's not good because he wants to teach us more lessons. There are times in Paul's life, for example, where he was sick. And he prayed three times that God would remove the sickness from him. And God said, no, but my grace is sufficient for you. There is a better lesson to be learned through continuing on with the sickness to keep you humble, Paul, than there is to heal you and make you proud. And so we have to allow God to be sovereign, because he is. It's not really 
up to us to make, allow it. He's sovereign regardless of whether we allow it or not. But don't doubt what God can do. The Bible says very plainly, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. What man is there among you if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Faith is willing to obtain the gifts God wants to give us. Faith is very, very practical. And as you, as you come to issues in your life and you come up to roadblocks in your life or mountains in your life or whatever it is, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. The point is this. The Bible says this. To let the word of God dwell in you richly. Spend time in the word. Spend time listening to God speaking to you, and as he speaks to you, claim the promises of God. Let him uh, work in you and through you. And the hope of the future will become your present enjoyment. If you have a word from the Lord, that's all the assurance you need. Faith grabs hold of the word of God, and faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Number two, faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith makes the invisible visible. Faith makes the invisible visible. Well, if we have faith, we can see clearly, and as a result, it absolutely revolutionizes our lives. Jesus taught, for example, Matthew 6, 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Seven-year-old Michael saw his parents go into a toy store, brought him in with them, and uh, they bought a toy for Michael, and they got to the checkout counter, and they handed the clerk a $20 bill, and the clerk handed them the present. And little Michael looked at that and never, hadn't seen that kind of transaction before. This was important. He never paid attention when they bought groceries. That wasn't important, but this was a toy, and he was going to get the toy. And so he watched as the clerk handed the toy to them, and all they did was give the, give the clerk $20 bill. He says, wow, that's great. And he walked out of the store with a brand new toy. So he asked his dad why the store clerk gave him the toy. And his dad explained that money has value. And that the store was willing to accept the $20 bill in exchange for the toy. Because the toy was worth $20. So it was his first lesson in things that have value. A few months later, on a rainy day in California, Michael and his family were at home playing Monopoly. 
And he began to learn about buying and selling property and paying the tax man and getting $200 every time he passed go and all this sort of thing. And as Michael was putting the game away, it dawned on him that he could be rich. He said, look at all this money. And so he took all of the dollar bills in the 20s and the 100s and the 500s and he took them all because he was supposed to put the toy away or put the game away. And he took them all and he ran upstairs to his bedroom and he put all the money into his top drawer. He says, I'm rich. And then he put the game away. Michael's dad also gave him an allowance of $5 a week. And Michael put that money in the same drawer with the Monopoly money. On his next visit to the toy store, he went up and down the aisles and he, his eyes just bugged out when he saw a, a whole row of Monopoly games. And he says, whoa! And so he looked at the price, 25 bucks. And he says, I've got 25 bucks. And so he took out the $25 and he paid the clerk the $25, and he thought, there's something wrong here because I'm getting away with, you know, it's almost stealing. Gave the clerk $25, and the clerk handed him the whole box. And he got out of the store as fast as he could because he was now really rich. And he went home, and he opened the box, and he took all the money out, and he put it in his top drawer, and he took the rest of the game, and he just threw it away. He said, I don't need that. I've got the money. And he saved his money over and over again. And he kept emptying the money into his drawer. And he threw away the rest of the games each time. But, you know, Michael was smart. He was preparing for his future. He wanted to buy a car. He wanted to buy a house. He wanted to travel, probably. And the day came for him, for Michael, to move out on his own. And he put all of the money in that top drawer into his suitcase. And he went to find a place to live. And he lived in the Bay Area. The first Bay Area apartment he looked at was a one-bedroom condo, and it was 1500 bucks a month. So he opened his suitcase, and he pulled out 15 $100 Monopoly money bills, and he put them down on the desk of the landlord. And the landlord looks at him and says, you're kidding, right? The manager looked like, at him like he'd lost his mind. He says, I can't accept this. This isn't real money. It has no value. This is pretend money that you use in playing a game. In real life, this money is useless. Well, I want to tell you something, believers. U.S. currency has no value in heaven. It's worthless. You may work and earn and save and stuff it all in the top drawer of your dresser in your bedroom. But when you get to heaven, it has no value. It's not real money. It's pretend money that you use in playing this game on earth that we call life. And we may have a drawer full of money, but in heaven the money is worthless. True faith acts on evidence of things not seen. And so how does that apply? The Bible says, as we read earlier, that, that there is treasure in heaven. And if we believe that there is treasure in heaven, where moth and rust does, 
not corrupt and thieves cannot break through and steal. Then we can use the play money with the pictures of dead presidents on it. And we can put it to use to acquire eternal treasures. It's amazing. But you can get away with that. Okay? Just like he took the game out of the store thinking that he was getting away with, with almost stealing from the store. The reality is you can use U.S. currency and put it to use for the Lord's service today and get treasure in heaven that is worth something. The Bible says, treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and thieves cannot break through and steal it. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The point, the point is that faith acts in a way that is contrary to sight. We think this is of substance, but it's not. This is temporary. It's all going to burn up. But if we put to work the things that we have for eternal treasures, that is what lasts. When we trust the Lord for our daily needs, we never know when our next meal will come from or how the next mortgage payment will be made or how God will arrange for enough gas for the car, food on the table, clothes on our back. But the confidence is that God has promised to take care of our needs. Faith demands the uh, surest evidence and finds it in, the, in verses like these. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Or seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Context is food and clothing, the things that we need. The righteous, Psalm 34, 17, the righteous cry out, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Now, God normally provides through our jobs. That's his normal way of providing for us. He who will not work, the Bible says, let him not eat. But we as believers can live in such a way that our lives are a perpetu in, in perpetual dependence upon God. We can live that way. And God will take care of us. And if you live that way, it's basically saying, look, if God fails me, I'm sunk. But God will never fail you. There are so many promises uh, in God's word. We don't have time to look at them all today. I want to tell you a story. I've told this story before. And I, I uh, remember, it's, it's probably 25 years old, Okay. We had a knock at the front door one day, one night, and there was this tall, handsome, blonde man standing at our front door, and I opened the door to him, and I asked him, well, actually, he asked me. First, first question was, are you Don Robertson? I said, yes, I am. He said, perfect stranger. He says, do you live by faith? What kind of a question is that from a perfect stranger? Kind of an odd question, but I replied, Yes, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And he said, God told me to give this to you. And he handed me three $20 bills. Now, nobody does that. But he did. Perfect stranger. Three $20 bills. I said, well, who are you? He says, you'll never know. I said, well, usually I, I, I like to thank people if they're going to give me a gift. I said, who should I thank? And he looked at me like I lost my marbles. He said, well, thank God. I said, of course. 
And he turned around and he walked out into the night, and I've never seen him again since. That's an old story. And you might say, well, Don, that happened 25 years ago. Why are you dwelling in the past? Because the answer is as fresh to me today as it was when it happened 25 years ago. But if you're not satisfied with that, let me give you a current story. If we had two months, I could spend two months telling you stories, and then some, of story after story after story of God's provision in miraculous or mysterious ways, because that is the way God works. He's cared for us over and over again. But I'll give you a recent account so you understand that God is very much alive and well in 2017, and that he's compassionate and he's merciful, and that your heavenly Father knows the needs that you have before you ask him. Last Sunday, we'll start there, September, I mean, uh, September, February 19th, 2017. The deacons meet once a month for their meeting, and we met together last Sunday in the room uh, in the back of the chapel here. As we go through the uh, points in their meeting, at one point they came to a a question and they said, hey, Don, we just want to ask you, um, you know, we're concerned for you and your well-being and, um, you know, are you getting bookings for your home, rental uh, bookings for your home? And I said to them, We have people there right now. Now, they were only going to be there for another two days, but I didn't tell them that. Yeah, I said, we have people there right now. That's good. And what about the future? I said, well, the Lord will take care of the future, as he always does. I no sooner got the words out of my mouth, and uh, my phone was on mute, but it buzzed. And I looked down at my phone, and I thought, that's just like you, Lord. It's just like you. I no sooner basically said to the deacons, I am trusting God for my future, and the Lord provided for my future. I barely got the words out of my mouth. And I looked down, and there was a person who was inquiring about staying at our house starting on Friday of last week. So just four days later. Five days later, whatever it was. I mean, no, whatever that is. I can't count. But enough time to get it ready for them anyway, right? So I didn't, you know, we were in a meeting, so I couldn't, you know, answer him, and I couldn't look at the details. But when I got home, I looked at the details. The guy wants to stay for a month. And I thought, that's just like you, Lord. You know, you provide as needed, and he did. So that's not an old story. That happened last week. In fact, it's currently in progress. The guy's already there, right? But here's what I learned from that event yet again. And I've learned this lesson over and over and over and over again so many times that I can't even remember how many times. It shall come to pass, Isaiah 65, 24 says, it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. For more than 39 years, I have looked to the Lord daily to meet all of our needs, and the Lord has never, ever failed us, ever. So I've got a little bit of time left to go, and I have to, by faith, believe that just as God has dealt with us in the past, 
he will also deal with us in the future. I have every confidence in that. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith, you know, it's really wonderful. Faith allows the simplest, most humble saint to see more on his or her knees than the wisest philosopher can see on his tiptoes. The same God who was so active in the lives of Old Testament saints is the same God who is active in our lives today. And so that brings us to verse 2. Number 3 on your sheets, faith secures God's stamp of approval. It says, for by it, that is by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. And I'm just going to give you a couple of places where that uh, is, is found in this chapter. It says, Abel obtained witness. In other words, he was declared right, righteous. Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. Why? Because these are men of faith. Verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Verse 16, God is not ashamed to be called their God. If you live by faith, God will not be ashamed to be called your God. And at the end of the long list in verse 39, we read this, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith. God is looking for people who will simply take him at his word and say, Lord, I believe you. That's simple. I believe you. That's what faith is. By it, the elders obtained a good testimony. Why does uh, God approve men and women of faith? It's because most of the world doesn't believe God. First of all, they don't believe that he exists. And then if they do believe that he exists, they don't believe that he's active in the lives of individuals. And that's even true of Christians. That yes, Lord, I'll trust you for the greatest thing that I could possibly trust you for. That is, the eternal welfare of my soul in heaven. But don't think that I'm going to trust you for my day-to-day needs. That doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. If we can trust him for the greater, why can't we trust him for the lesser? We can. That's the whole point. On two occasions, Jesus talked uh, um, about great faith in the scripture. Uh, he had never seen such great faith. They were actually two Gentiles. And he basically pushed back at their faith, and they pushed right back. And he said, he marveled, it says in the scripture. He marveled at faith like this. And so you say, well, if, if, if I am pushed back in my faith, what am I supposed to do? Push right back with the word of God. That's what you're supposed to do. Believe God, and and you will have him marveling because it's so rare. So the elders in this verse refers to Old Testament believers, which he's going to talk about in the the next, uh, well, in the whole passage. Number four on your list, faith makes the unknowable known. The unknowable known or knowable. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. You know, really the starting point of faith has to be that you just simply take God at his word. You trust him for what he says. And why not start at the very beginning, at creation? By faith we understand. We know, what do we know? 
Well, it's very important what we know. If we're going to be men and women of faith, we must constantly subject our thoughts to the Word of God. This means that if you hear something that is contrary to the Word of God out of the mouths of college professors or the media or anyone else, you must choose who you're going to believe. Choose to believe what God says in every matter. There are not two truths. There's only one. And the Bible says, thy word is truth. And so we believe what God says, even if it's contrary to everything that everyone else is spouting. I don't care what they say. I care what God says. So if you ever come to a point where there's a conflict in your mind, let God be true and every man a liar. Faith gives us 2020 vision. And so we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. That means that God spoke and the worlds came into being. Now, that's not what you're taught in school. That's not what the Discovery Channel promotes. It's not what Bill Nye, the science guy, says. So you have to make a choice. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe God or are you going to believe all these other people? Who's lying? Is it God or is it man? If you doubt the word of God, or you try to modify the word of God, what you're really saying is, God, you're lying. That's what you're saying. Now, you may not use those words, because those words really sound terrible. But if, if you have that in your heart, it's the same thing. You're calling God a liar. But if you submit your intellect to the word of God, you are calling scientists, professors, authors, philosophers, etc. You're calling them liars. Well, that's okay. They are. Faith stands on what God says. The Bible tells us in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the truth. Modern science doesn't agree. They want to take God out of the picture. They want to not be responsible to a God or to the only God. And so they make a man-made theory of evolution. But you have to, make, you have to come to some conclusion in your own mind. You have, when you have somebody whispering in your ear, oh, well, that's fine for church. When you're sitting in the pews, it's okay to believe that. But when you're out in the real world, it's different. You can't believe it out in the real world. Yes, you can. Faith makes the unknowable known. By faith, we know, for example, that Jesus Christ is God. And that Jesus Christ is the Creator. In Genesis chapter 1, 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In John chapter 1, verse 3, it says about Jesus Christ, All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. That means that Jesus is God and that he is the creator. The Bible teaches us that the heavens and the earth were made in six literal days. You say, oh, you're one of those people who believe that, are you? Yes, I am, because that's what the Bible teaches. And it says that God rested on the seventh day. Genesis 1.31, then God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Verse, uh, chapter 2, thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. 
So some people say, well, you know, the world was created, the seventh days are just examples of eons. That just means that they're long, long periods of time. Well, that, that makes no sense. Look at the Bible again. Day 3, Genesis 1, 9 through 13, God made all of the plant life. Day 4, God made the sun and the moon. If it's eons, how on earth is the plant life going to survive for eons before there's a sun? Makes no sense. So we know that it cannot be eons. It doesn't make any sense. Even biblically, when you look at the, the time record here, it makes no sense. Um, The earth was created. Now, this is another interesting thing, another interesting fact, truth. Which came first, the sun and the moon or the earth? Well, if you look at, listen to scientists, evolution, the, sun, the, 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 the planets came out of what? The Big Bang, okay. Yeah, I mean, in their minds, the sun was the power source. But that's not true. The reality is the earth was made first before there was a sun and a moon. How do I know that? Because God said it. I don't need anything else. And faith simply takes God at his word. You say, well, that doesn't line up with what scientists say. Well, who's lying then? God or scientists? Man was created. The Bible says that. He did not evolve. The Bible says, he doesn't use the word evolve because it never happened. But man was made out of the dust of the earth on the sixth day, and God breathed life into him. Man was created, this is another subject entirely, but man was created to procreate with a woman. It was not good for man to be alone. A woman was designed by God to be a helper comparable to him. And a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And so it really undermines the whole philosophy today of, you know, any kind of relationship is a good relationship. No, it's not. That is not the way God designed it. And again, by faith, you have to believe what God says. By faith, we understand all these things and a whole lot more. And really what it means is we simply take God at his word and believe it. Faith says that God is true, period. Okay, we're running out of time. Number five, faith makes the unrighteous righteous. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. So you know this from the scripture. Adam and Eve had two sons initially, uh, Cain and Abel. Cain was a farmer, Abel was a shepherd. Both of these men brought an offering to God. And we're going to read the story in uh, chapter Genesis 4, 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, that is, he respected the blood sacrifice, but he did not respect the fruit sacrifice. He did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. 
So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. So, the history. Adam and Eve were created sinless. They had no sin. God gave them all of the trees of the, the garden to eat from, and there was only one rule in all of creation, and that was do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was it. One rule. And they sinned. They took of that fruit, they ate it, and they plunged the entire human race into sin. And every single person is a descendant of Adam, and we inherit the sin nature that came from Adam. So we're born into sin. We're born as sinners. We need to be saved. We need to have a right relationship with God. And the only way that we can have a right relationship with God, the Bible tells us, is through the shedding of blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's no forgiveness. And God taught Adam and Eve that by taking an animal, which was a sacrificial animal. He took it. It was sinless. It was spotless. It had uh, no deformity. And he shed its blood, and he took the skin of the animal, and he clothed them with the skin of the animal. And that story represents, I mean, it was a real story. It really happened. But it was also representative of what God was going to do. That there would come a time when a sinless sacrifice would be given for the entire world. And that anyone who trusted in the blood that was shed from this future uh, sacrifice would be clothed with the righteousness of God. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, pointing to Jesus Christ as the sacrifice that God had promised, actually back here in Genesis. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He paid sin's penalty for us. He rose again from the grave as proof that God had accepted his sacrifice for us. And anyone who by faith trusts in Jesus Christ for the, as their Lord and Savior, is clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Jesus is God. God gives us his own righteousness, and that is what is required for us to enter into heaven. We cannot get to heaven on our own. But Cain thought otherwise. He thought, no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't like this blood-filled religion. I'm going to do it my own way. And he brought fruit instead. And he brought vegetables or fruit from the trees and said, Here, Lord, take this as an offering, as a sacrifice to you. And God said, No, I will not take that. Faith demands a wor the word from God. So Adam and Eve must have, or God must have, told Cain and Abel that the only acceptable sacrifice was a blood sacrifice. Abel offered a blood sacrifice. He was accepted. When Cain offered the bloodless sacrifice, he was not accepted. But God gave him the opportunity to do what was right. He said, if you do well, it will go well for you. And so there are only two religions in the world. There's a religion that says, I will get to God, I will get to heaven my own way, by my own good works, doing my own thing. You won't get there. 
Okay? How do I know? Because God says so. Faith accepts what God says. But there is a way of salvation. And that way is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And if we trust in him, Jesus makes many, many promises in the New Testament. One of which is that he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. As many as receive him, to them he gives the right to become children of God. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Those are the promises of God, and we can bank on them. We can trust what he says. If you want to be sure that you're going to heaven, then by faith, trust in God. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. Number six, death Faith, pardon me, is death-defying. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. Most people find genealogies to be quite boring. You know, great big yawn. I don't want to read anymore. Thank you very much. But wait a minute. There is sandwiched between Jared and Methuselah a, an account of a man named Enoch. And it is a, we can learn a fabulous lesson from Enoch's life. It says this, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So I want to dig a little deeper. By faith, Enoch. Whatever Enoch believed, he had to believe the same thing as Abel. He believed in the sacrificial uh, blood offering. He trusted in the Lord, and he had a relationship with the Lord. Because he could not walk with God until he first came to know God as his Lord and Savior. So he trusted in the Lord. Then he had fellowship with God on a daily basis for 365 years. That's how long he lived. Then all of a sudden, I think apparently God enjoyed the fellowship so much that instead of allowing Enoch to carry on living on earth, he simply said, Enoch, why don't you just come to heaven with me? And he took him. And people went out looking for Enoch that day, and he was gone. He wasn't there anymore. Sent out a search party. Never found him. He went right into the presence of God. And the interesting thing about this is, is this. Faith is death-defying. The Bible says this, it is appointed unto man to die once, so we are all facing death. The soul that sinneth shall die. The wages of sin is death. So we're facing death. All of us are facing death. But God suspended the death sentence on Enoch and allowed him to bypass death and enter right into the presence of God. And by faith, the same thing could happen to us. We live right now in anticipation of the next major uh, prophetic event, and that is the rapture. The Lord has promised that he is coming again. And he promised that he will come to the air and that the dead in Christ, those who have died believing in Christ, will rise first. Then we who are alive, so if it happens today and you're still living and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
We who are alive and remain shall be caught up with them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Death-defying. It means that we will not taste death. We will not go through that experience that everyone else has had to go. We will be like Enoch, trusting in the Lord to take us without dying. He will suspend our death sentence and allow us to bypass death. The scripture says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all die. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound. And the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. Enoch pleased God. And he was taken. For he had this testimony that he pleased God. Number seven, this is the final point today. Faith makes the impossible possible. Do you know that it is impossible to please God? Impossible. Unless you have faith and you believe in him. First of all, we must believe that he is. You say, well, that's kind of a given, isn't it? Yeah, but some people don't. It's the first step. There are many people who don't believe God even exists. But God does exist. Even the, believe, the demons believe that much and tremble in fear. So it's not enough just to simply believe in the existence of God. We must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We must believe the truth about who God is and about what God is willing to do for us. He is moral, just, fair, loving. All the attributes of God have to be understood both by his creation and through his written word. Who can know God? Who can do the possible, that is, please God? Anyone who seeks the Lord with all their heart, their soul, their mind, their being, and will simply trust Him to save their souls and trust Him to care for them in their daily lives. Well, we have a new week ahead of us. I want to ask you this. Are you going to walk by faith this week? It says in the scripture, the just shall live by faith. That should be our lifestyle. Just shall live by faith. And so I want to ask you, will you walk through this week by faith? What do you hope for this week? What is on your heart? What did you write down on the top of the piece of paper? By faith, claim the promises of God's word. What will you do with your American monopoly this week? Put it to work for eternal treasures by faith. Lay up treasures in heaven. Seek to win God's approval of your faith by trusting him this week. And then as you're challenged this week by lies that are bombarding us through the media and through school and work and all the rest of it, simply trust God and what he says in his word. Walk with God this week as Enoch walked with God And maybe it will be this week that the Lord will take us home to be with him forever. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for writing down your word for us that we might enjoy, that we might uh, learn about you, that we might claim for our own personal needs and in our own personal life. 
Thank you for this, so many promises that you've given to us. And Lord, we want to be men and women of faith who simply take you at your word and simply say, Lord, I believe what you're saying. I believe what you've said is true. And I just simply accept that by faith. And Lord, I pray that you would do wondrous things through us uh, as, we, as we trust you day by day. Lord, as we leave this meeting today, we pray that we would depart with your peace. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, challenge us in our faith this week and that our faith would push back and claim the word of God for ourselves. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.